<laughs> welcome to Sweathead, Vicky Ross. My name is Mark Pollard. Vicky Ross is a copywriter in the UK. She's behind a ton of brands, apparently more brands than any of us will ever know. She also trains mentors and judges at various institutions, which we'll talk about as we go. Hey, Vicky, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey, how did you know that you wanted, when and how did you know that you wanted to become a copywriter? Um, I knew that I wanted to be a writer from about 11 or 12 years old, but I didn't know what a copywriter was then. Um, and so I just did everything I could to get to some sort of a writing position. Um, so I didn't go to university or ad school. Um, I just straight after college, I got a job as a receptionist just to earn money um, while I worked out what my next move was. And then um, I ended up being a copywriter by accident. Um, I, through being a PA, I ended up at a PR agency and the lady who ran the agency, her husband ran a creative agency. Um, so after I helped her on a specific project, she asked me to go to her husband's agency, which is right next door, um, to help him out as a PA. And I learned that they wrote ads in magazines and newspapers. So I asked if I could write one, which they thought was hilarious because I had no experience and they didn't know my desire. Um, and so they let me write a reader offer, um, a mail order offer, so they could... Um, gauge the response and it was their highest performing one ever um, so from then they moved me straight into the creative department and I became a copywriter. So you identified as a writer from the age of 11? Yeah I was always reading, I was always making up stories, um, I wrote my own magazine, I mean it's probably very embarrassing to look at now but at the time I just wanted to write something. Uh, yeah, I, I published a magazine for five years and it's, it's, it, was always, it was difficult to look at it the day it arrived in my place. I would have <laughs> eight to 10,000 of these magazines arrived. I was like, oh, it could have been better. There are typos everywhere. What's going on? But I love the smell of ink, so I kept doing it. We can always do better. As soon as you send something, that's when you think of your best line. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and what, did, what did ad school look like when, uh, when you were starting out? Uh, well, I had no idea about it. It wasn't a consideration for me. I just wanted to go straight to work. I didn't want to waste time learning. I wanted to learn on the job while I was earning money. Um, and I wanted to be successful and, and work hard and fast and get on with it. So, yeah, like I say, it just wasn't a consideration. Uh, and so after you moved into a, a full-time writing or copywriting role, what did, the, what did the first three to five years look like for you? What kind of work were you doing at the time? What kind of pressures did you feel at the time that maybe you don't feel now? Um, this, so this is kind of a question that I get asked a lot, um, and the answer comes around to imposter syndrome. Um, so as a young creative, it's, it's a nerve-wracking job because you're putting yourself out there. There's no formula. There's no right or wrong. It's just, um, you know, finding the right way to speak to an audience and then doing it creatively um, and imaginatively. And that's a hard thing to judge. So you're always scared about senior creatives sort of tearing your work apart. Um, and that doesn't really go away. The, the more you progress through your career, you, get, you just get used to it. Um, so it, it, and it feels different. But when you're younger, I guess I was hungry and I always used to try and do more than I needed to. So I remember one of my first client pitches, 
I showed about 10 ideas just to show that I had loads of ideas, but actually half of them were shit and I shouldn't have shown all of them because the client picked one of the shit ones and it went and I had to see it go live and it was horrible. Um, so I guess I learned um, quality over quantity is important. Um, it's also important to have a great leader. So I did work in my early days for a creative director that I just, I wish that I had his brain. Like whenever I presented anything and he gave feedback, I just thought, why didn't I think of that? Um, and that's somebody that you want um, to be working under, someone that's going to inspire you and push you. The fact that if you present ideas that you don't quite like, that then you have to make for three, six to nine months is definitely something that many of the other people in the other agency don't have to quite deal with. Has that happened much in your life and how have you dealt with it? Um, sorry, what do you mean? Going you know, something... Presenting ideas or having ideas that you, you thought could be much, much, much better, but then having a client want them and then having to live with them for an extended period of time. You, you just have to deal with it. I don't have a magic answer for that. The, the, the shit idea that I presented that the client picked um, was the front cover of a magazine, um, a mail order catalogue that was live for six months. So for six months, it was on the front cover and I saw it every day and every day I just kicked myself. And it also it just made me think less of the client for picking such a shit line. Oh, did you keep it on your desk? <laughs> no, but other people had it on their desk. <laughs> that's rough and when you when you mentioned that senior creatives and the way that they give give feed, like senior creatives giving feedback mm -hmm. what types of feedback have you seen what types of feedback did you grow up with um constructive criticism um i'm trying to remember that i've only ever had one really really great creative director um, so he's the guy I mentioned before who would always push and always just go the extra mile. And he had, a, I felt like he had a, a bigger imagination than other people. Um, so his feedback was always just sort of open your mind, think bigger, go again. Uh, whereas um, I've had bad heads of copy um, before who have given feedback that I would just ignore. Um, I had one head of copy who said that um, knowing how to spell wasn't important because we have spell checker in, in the Word document. And I say, that's just, I, I wrote a blog post on it recently because what's the point in having a, a, a skill and not taking the care to make sure it, you know, is delivered perfectly? That mm. baffles me. Is it, and as you've uh, progressed and been in a situation of giving other people feedback, is it, is it hard to work out in that moment what feedback is, is useful or do you have certain go-to um, either phrases or rules of thumb? I was going to go here before you asked me because I think I know what, what you're getting at. Um, I think some creatives think that there is a right or wrong answer and that feedback can... Sometimes people go to senior creatives for feedback thinking that they'll get just a yes or no, black and white. And unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. So when I'm teaching at the School of Communication Arts 2.0, um, often the students struggle with the fact that they'll present an idea or a campaign idea and the mentors will like it one day, but then the next day not like it. Because you, you have to evolve with a thought. You know, you can't just answer instantly. Um, you sort of have to work through it in your head before you can give the feedback to the the person that you're talking to um, and vice versa like 
uh, a creative job is a collaborative job and there's not one person that's going to get it right every time it might be one person that says part of the idea and someone else completes that thought um dave trot uh, talked about um when he was uh younger i can't remember who he was working with he said that sometimes the two of them you know the writer would come up with the art idea and the art guy would come up with the writing uh, the copy um or even you know you work for so long on something that you start to talk yourself out of your idea so i think it's john webster that dave Trott talks about um he says john webster used to throw ideas away and go home and people would go into the office and empty the dustbin to see what ideas he chucked away mm -hmm. because they could see it was good even if he couldn't right uh, there's uh, there's a piece of feedback that you you mentioned the, the go on or the keep going and uh, with due respect, I, did, I worked in an agency once and, oh, many times, but at least once. <laughs> and a, a little ritual happened where people could ask anonymous questions of the management team. And at one of these meetings, someone anonymously asked us, or it was more of a statement really, uh, that where they were basically saying, what's up with getting feedback, keep going, it's not useful to me. And it caused a bit of a, a furor how would you respond to like is that useful feedback is that the, is that really deeply honest and self-aware feedback or is it evasive and passive aggressive what, just being told to keep going mm. um keep going to me means you haven't got it yet um i i i find some younger creatives well probably older ones too can be lazy or we have time pressures and deadlines are you know horribly short um and tight uh but often the early ideas are not going to be the good ones. Um, and so you have to keep exploring and then you'll be rewarded when you do, because you will actually get to something that was better than your initial idea. But then the other thing is it's part of a sort of a, I hate talking like this, but a journey. Um, it's part of a journey because maybe your first idea is the best idea, but keep going just to make sure that it is. Keep going, get rid of everything else that could be there. Um, so keep, keep going as a constructive piece of feedback even if yeah. it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. And when, as far as, do you encourage people to try to get to a certain number of ideas, you know, grab a piece of paper, draw boxes on it, fill it up with 20 ideas? Do you give them practical suggestions like that or do you encourage people to find their own workflow? Um, a bit of both. So I never have a fixed number, um, but I do know that if a student shows me a list of five to 10 lines, uh, that's not enough. Um, they have to keep going. Um, it's very rare that someone uh, early in their career can get to the line straight away. Um, if they can, then obviously that's amazing. Um, but as I said, it just helps to keep going um, because you don't know where you're going to get to. Um, and then as for telling somebody how to get to an idea, everybody's different. I can't, um, as I said, it's not, it's not a process or a formula. You have to do what's right for you. And that's different for everybody. And that's part of the creative gig. Um, what frustrates me is that the inexperienced creatives don't trust in the subconscious doing the work for them, which I think is a brilliant part of our mind, body and job is that because you've got a brief and you're looking at your computer and you're trying to work out how to do it, it doesn't mean that's when the answer is going to come. Typically the answer is going to come when you're 
going for a walk or watching TV or reading a book or talking to a friend, someone will trigger a word or, or you'll read something that will trigger an idea or just looking up and around and having a bit of space to breathe is going to allow your brain to come up with the idea. That's why the subconscious is such a clever, brilliant muscle. And it frustrates me when younger creatives don't use it enough because they would be far less stressed um, if they just let nature take its course. Where do you, so do you, do you believe years ago that there was more uh, openness, acceptance, interest in uh, doing, approaching work in, in that way? Do you think it's actually changed? Yeah, I think um, we feel more pressured to be visible and present in our jobs and at our desk and, you know, doing the hours and working late and going to the meetings and maybe in the good old days of advertising, um, people would they'd get a brief in the morning they'd go oh, it's so stereotypical and what we saw on mad men but they'd go for lunch and they'd get drunk and then they'd go back to the office and or the agency and see what they would got and if they hadn't got anything maybe they'd go to the pub and um just chat and listen to other people in the pub and then they'd come back and you know the the idea doesn't come just because you're sat at your desk it's not that kind of a job yeah i mean that since i've been doing my own thing i, I the, my favorite part of work is going for a lap of Central Park or going to yoga. And it's almost like someone sets off a fire, <laughs> like within five, five, around five minutes before the end of the yoga class. So I'm like, it's a fire. I'm like, oh my God, I've got to go do some writing. <laughs> and you're lying there in Shavasana. Anyway, that's your, your bit of yoga stick for the yoga notes. Um, um, but it's true. I, and I always say, like, do all of those things, but you need something. You need a pen or a paper and paper or a phone near you. Like, I'm always sticking my hand up at my husband go wait I, I just need to write something down and um, when we've gone out for dinner or something or I go for a walk and it's you know it's not convenient to walk around typing into your phone but you have I've got bad memory so if I don't write it down as soon as I think of it it's gone yeah right I, I really agree with the pressures on like utilization timesheets and then people seeing you work has become more of a thing in some kind, I think in PR agencies, for example, if you're not in a room working with people, people can be suspicious of what work you're doing in, in some places. And I think these dynamics are definitely more heightened, have become more heightened in recent years as the quantity of output has also increased. So there's, it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy out there. Yeah, we're doing too much and we're doing too much in the wrong way. Having said that, to be fair, um, I think we're changing. I think maybe we're getting better. I just had a meeting with somebody in a communal workspace, which I found a bit weird, actually. But um, I think some agencies are recognising that sitting at your desk doesn't always bring the gold. And how, so how are, you, how are you hearing this? What are people doing about it? Um, I just think that there seems to be more acceptance around flexible working. I, I'm talking very minimal. Like I'm, there's no, there's no gear shift yet. There's no, you know, there are still people at their desks and working crazy hours, oh, crazy hours. That also impacts our outputs. Like we're not being creative past a certain point of the day or night. Um, so yeah, I think people are being, are more accepting of, uh, flexible working, um, shorter weeks uh mixed maternity and paternity leaves um working in different environments i think we started seeing that when agencies introduced you know the fake grass and the picnic benches to try and be a cool environment to work mm -hmm. in we've gone a little bit further where we are actually allowed out of the agency now to see real grass um but it's slow it's but we're getting there maybe 
and soon everyone will be smoking grass within the agency and it's, uh, it's <laughs> a full circle of grass, whatever that means. <laughs> with, with that, so you do a lot of training and mentorship. So if you think about your time with the School of Communication Arts 2.0, which is its full title, what are some of the questions that people ask you when they corner you after class? Um, so just before I answer that question, it's annoying when people corner you after a class because everybody's question is valid and everybody should hear everybody's questions. It might be something they didn't think of. So they're missing out on information. Anyway, um, that's a, I know that's a personal thing and people are shy and I would never pick on someone and, and make them speak in a class. Um, typically I get asked after a class, um, how something I've said would relate specifically to a campaign that the person is working on. So, you know, I maybe do a class on a broad technique and then they're thinking, well, I'm working on a campaign for Coke right now. So how can I apply that? Um, so then I'll sit with them and, and be sort of more specific and methodic in, in the feedback. Um, what else do I get asked? Um, I get asked a lot of sort of myth busting questions like is it true that um you have to write hundreds of lines before you get to the one um but then I find that younger creatives want to get somewhere quicker um than they they shouldn't race they should you know enjoy it this is a fun job allow the marination to happen and when yeah. you use the word line you're talking are you talking tagline or a, a sentence that, or a phrase that describes what the actual idea is um yeah either it could be the proposition which is the line that describes the idea it could be a headline which would be the hook to get the customer in or it could be the tagline that's the payoff like what are we going to leave the customer with what's what they're going to remember when they've been with us and when you teach these classes can you sense pretty early on the quality of a of a student or does that really evolve through a class um, I can see who's hungry. They're the ones that stick out. They're the ones that I remember and they're the ones that I want to spend time with. Um, I think in this industry, probably in others, but I don't know them, um, a hungry creative shows me that they want it, shows me that they care um, and shows me that they're going to make it as well. So I've just been judging at um, DNAD, the new, uh, yeah, the new blood, um, so the student awards. And um, it was a heavy brief. We asked for 800 words of copy to be written. And 800 words is not easy. Um, 800 words brilliantly written is exceptionally difficult. Um, and what I could see in reading these 800 words from all the applicants was how much time and effort they put into it. You know, the, it, it wasn't just a load of words thrown on a page. It was words that have been crafted. And that takes time and care. And I don't think everybody has the commitment and the dedication to that level of hard work. And this is one of those clumsy, obvious questions, but what are the, when you're looking at 800 words and you're looking for craft, what are you looking for? I'm looking for every word having a reason for being there no fillers, no cliches, no sloppy repetition. Repetition is a great technique in copywriting, but not when it's done badly. Um, and I'm looking for the techniques because 800 words needs to keep somebody interested for a long time. Um, so the techniques need to cover rhythm and flow, like it needs to be a pleasure to read. 
Um, I'm looking for emotion. I'm looking for context. Does it talk to the audience? Is it engaging them? Um, I'm looking for the fun stuff, like, you know, uh, the things that keep it going, like alliteration or um, loads of verbs, no meaningless adjectives, pretty much ticking all the copywriting boxes. And uh, with, so what, what was, that was for the DNAD, was it a particular ca category? What was it actually for? Yeah, so um, DNAD New Blood is the student competition. I think there are around 20 briefs and they're all different. Um, there's a design brief, there was a side hustle brief, uh, there was an animation brief. Um, I was judging the copywriting brief and it was for um, a UK brand shelter and nationwide. It's a building society and a homeless charity that have um, partnered and um, the, they're talking about the issue around housing crisis um, in the UK. So the students were able to pick any um, part of that issue and uh, write 800 words about it. And the 800 words had to be in the form of a advertorial or a letter or a blog post or a news article it was up to them and to connect that to another theme when i was over in london about a year and a half ago i was reading that a lot of a lot of your students for example might never be able to own a home close to where they work if they want to work in this industry which is a privileged industry in which to work do people talk about that as as they're coming through do you sense a panic and desperation around it um, I don't, uh, I'm trying to answer this favorably. Um, the students I teach are mostly, um, either from London or can afford to be in London. Um, but there is obviously in any industry an issue with starting out and getting paid a low wage and having expensive travel fees if you don't live in the city that you work in. And then outside of London, what are some of the cool creative markets that maybe people outside of the UK haven't heard of? There's somewhere outside of London. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, in the UK or in the world? Yeah, yeah the UK. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Stop buying yourself time. I thought that'd be <laughs> at least five to ten. Um, look, everywhere, everyone's different. I can't, I can't actually answer that. You know, some people feed out off of being in the countryside or by the coast. I've just come back from the south of France, and as much as London is my favourite city, and I've been very lucky to grow up here and, and be born here, um, seeing the sea is just so. I mean, I don't think I could live there forever. I think I'd need more sort of London life, but. Um, yes, being in a different environment is what's going to keep you going. So we'll get back onto writing in a second, but the, the idea oh. of moving to London obviously pops up with so many people in this industry or on the outskirts of this industry because it is such a, a, a mecca and it's, it's known for great culture, great nightlife, cheap airfares to Europe. Uh, if someone wants to, to move to London from, say, Melbourne, Sydney, Singapore, Hong Kong, Buenos Aires. What's, have you got any advice for that person? Let's say they're early to mid twenties, they're a year or two in. Um, I, yeah, I don't have practical advice. I'm not um, in a position to offer practical advice, but what I always say is if anybody gets the opportunity to live in a different country for whatever reason, I believe strongly that they should take it because there is no better education in my opinion than learning a different culture or way of life.
agree. All right. So let's get back onto your mentorship and writing. I think yeah, you're going to give, <laughs> give people some shortcuts. You know, you're this London person who's got the lay of the land. And I was like, oh, we're going to I mean, they can come and sleep over at my house. <laughs> <laughs> we can set up a little camping site out the back. So I did have a student once who joked about coming and moving in and how fun it would be to talk about ideas every night. And I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now you're also mentoring uh, young female creatives with she says creative equals who's your mama yes who's your mama I should go up that's like that's when that's one of those times where the Australian inclination to go up on every phrase I yeah. could have actually used it right you're there, allowed there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what got you into to mentorship why why do you do it um I I do it for copywriters before I do it for females I don't know if that's the right thing to say but it's the truth and I will always tell the truth um I feel in my experience I had a lack of support in my copywriting career um and I see that at every level and at every agency and brand that I visit that copywriters are not always respected and um, not always supported and not always developed. Um, they often don't have a head of copy to report into. That layer is often removed and they report into a creative director. A lot of creative directors do have a copy background, but most are art. Um, and that just sends a message that the copywriting isn't as important. Um, In-house, I know of one client at the moment whose marketing team take it upon themselves to have a competition every week to write the copy line um, and they find it fun and I'm not saying that uh, not everybody is a writer everybody is a writer but not everybody can write well and there's a technique to copywriting that not everybody knows um, so I put myself in a mentoring position to support copywriters I champion copywriting I've set up various things to um, support copywriters um, being a senior female creative, I've been asked to mentor in the programs you mentioned, Creative Equals, She Says, and Who's Your Mama, uh, but I will only do it for copywriters. So I guess I support copywriting and then I support female copywriters. Does that help? It does, it does. And there's so many themes in there. I recall working with some clients. I had great, great relationships with the clients uh, and our agency was appointed by, by a CMO and then the sort of junior to mid-level marketers didn't really understand why they had an agency because they were in marketing to do the work that the agency thought it was mm -hmm. there to do. And I'd never, that was about five years ago and I was 15 years into a career. It was the first time that I had heard that. And now I think that's becoming more and more of the norm as some creative skills have gone in-house, not always with training, not always with training. And the identity of many marketing teams is that they're the creative ones of their own company and are basically an agency, whether or not they're, they're, they are their own in-house agency. So there's this whole, this seems new to me. Is it new to you? No, uh, unfortunately not. Um the theme of work going in-house or marketers doing the work, do you mean? Well, I, it was more the idea that with some of the marketing clients I had worked with, they actually saw themselves as the person doing the agency work, whether or not yeah. they actually had their own in-house agency. 
yeah um really frustrating I, I don't know why that happens i don't know if it's a control thing or because lots of marketers did english at, at university uh, from a copywriter's point of view they you know i've been in an in-house um job where two marketing people have stood in front of me trying to rewrite copy that i'd written while i was sat there and i was like guys give me feedback and i'll rewrite it don't just stand there talking about it in front of me but um i think with words it's just really easy to do it yourself whoever you are whereas um art you know you send over a pdf of work and marketers don't know how to manipulate that document um, although I have worked in an agency where the client once sent over a PowerPoint slide saying, um, indicating where everything should go. So logo here, headline there, write something about this. There. And uh, I mean, we all thought it was hilarious, but equally not funny either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think um, I think marketing people, you know, they're 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 looking after the money. They want to make sure the work goes out is what is right and is what they want it to do and say. So, I understand, but I also know a client where the uh, MD has always said, "Why am I spending money on agencies if they're not going to do what I want them to do?" You know, agencies shouldn't always let people take control. You should, you know, we should stand up for ourselves too. Mm-hmm. Are there any other dynamics that you think are contributing to either to a lack of respect for copyright? Um, I think if we don't have a good insight in the brief, then we can lead ourselves open to interpretation. You know, the, the brief becomes wide open. Everyone has a say. No one knows what the objective is, um, you know, without being sort of square and boring sometimes we need some rules in place to guide us down uh, the right way um other times it's it's healthy to be open but when there's a lot of people involved i think we need to be clear what we want and have you had any good experiences working with planners that's a loaded question <laughs> i did say i did say good so i loaded it in a positive way <laughs> Um, yes, I have, um, of course. Um, sometimes the best briefs I get have come from, um, you know, a, a sort of crystal clear insight um, that a, a planner or a strategist has come up with. And often I'll, I'll, have, I'll get the line. I know I said before you have to write hundreds of lines before you get to the right one, but often I can leave a meeting with the line if the, if the insight or the briefing has been that strong. Have you had um, any... Have you had any like medium to long-term uh, partnerships with, with planners? No, not directly, no. Um, I know lots, but not worked with them. Um, do you know Yuri Barukin? Um, he's now at Super Union. He was at the Partners. No. Um, he's, he's one of the few who I've met who doesn't speak in jargon, industry jargon. He puts it all in plain English. So it, it, it's so clear and easy to digest when he does a talk, which is actually why I've asked him to speak at an event I'm putting on. Um, maybe look him up later. And can you, can you recall any insights that have resonated with you that you think are examples of good insights? Oh. You should have sent question. me questions before. <laughs> so <laughs> I one. Um, let me take that as homework. Yeah, <laughs> I like it, I like it. So you want to talk about the event that you're hosting? It's coming up in September, right? Copy Capital, what's that all about? Oh, thank you. That was, <laughs> that was nice. Um, Copy Capital. So 
Um, when I, like I said before, um, I don't think copywriters are supported as much as they can be in the industry. Um, I've created a number of ways to champion them and, and make them feel valued. Um, there are no events for copywriters really. And so um, quarterly I host drinks in a pub. Um, it's just drinks in a pub. There's no agenda, there's no tickets, there's no speakers. It's just for copywriters to connect. Um, I've been doing that for five years. Um, and three, oh, two years ago, Andy Maslin, who is one of the UK's leading copywriters, he and I um, got together to create Copy Cabana, which is an event in Bournemouth. Um, we had uh, 12 speakers and 200 attendees who've come from around the world, which is incredible, um, because there's just no event like it. It's an event, it's a day dedicated to celebrating copywriting and the people around it. So it isn't just for copywriters and the speakers aren't just copywriters. Um, we have had um, uh, strategy directors um, and marketing directors speak. Um, and then copywriters from some of the most famous brands and agencies. This year, we've moved it from Bournemouth to London and changed the name to Copy Capital. It's on the 19th of September. We've got an incredible speaker lineup. Like every time I ask somebody to speak each year, I just can't believe they say yes. But like I say, it's because nothing like it exists. Um, it's fun. People have a great time. Um, one person wrote me an email after last year's event saying it wasn't just the quality of the speakers, it was the quality of the audience that made the price of his ticket worthwhile because he'd made so many great connections. Um, so yeah, we are gearing up for a good day. A good day. Yeah, we've already sold half the tickets. It's very fast moving um, and very exciting and very hard work. That's, that's awesome to hear. How did you, were you ready to take on a bigger risk? How did you progress I assume you've had to commit a certain amount of money to, to the event up, up front. How did you approach that as an entrepreneur? How did, yeah. I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur. It's all an accident. I, I never saw myself putting on an event in my career. As a copywriter, I love what I do. And I saw a future of hiding behind a computer screen, writing lovely words and never having to speak to anyone. Um, now I do public speaking, which is terrifying. Um, and I put on an event which is huge and takes up half my life and makes me no money. But I do it because the industry needs it, in my opinion. And the fact that we've sold out two years in a row and it looks like we're gonna sell out this year as well, tells me you know we're doing the right thing um and, and that we've got it right in the way that we do it too and the tone is right and the you know it's not it's not a day of um it's a day of entertainment and and being inspired and motivated it's not a day of um it's not a workshop day for example it's not a lesson you can people can do that elsewhere it's a day of celebration yeah it's you know i've, I've probably done about 30 to 40 events in the past six months or so and then I and then I interviewed a bunch of strategists who had come and one of the main reasons that they enjoyed coming it was people don't always turn up because of you they turn up for each other and being in a room with people like them and that's one of the most profound and beautiful things whether or not someone interacts with everyone in the room or not it's just the fact that yeah. there are people like me here then you get some techniques then you might get the job opportunity and so there's this little the idea of just being around people like you is one of the most uh yeah. One of the most beautiful things about these events. 
That's it. I think attendees just feel like they're in a safe place, but not just in a safe place. They're surrounded by people that they might not necessarily meet otherwise or people who work at agencies and brands that they would love to work at. That's how we pick our speakers. We pick our speakers based on um, we either wish that we had their job um, or we wish that we wrote for the brand that they write for or we wish that we had as many awards and celebrations and successes that, that they do. So we pick really high standard, high quality people um, and also people that aren't sort of on that typical speaking circuit. So I'd never want someone to say, well, I'm not going to go to Copy Capital because I've seen that person speak five times already this year. Um, so we always try and keep it different, energetic, lively and aspirational. That's, that's awesome. It's awesome. Now you also do, you've got so much going on. You also have a little Twitter account called agency quotes <laughs> yes. where you quote agencies funnily <laughs> enough. Yeah. Why did you start that? <laughs> um, I started that when I got to, uh, a head of copy in one brand that I was just in more meetings than I've ever been in, in my life. And I couldn't believe how people were talking. They just, in meetings, we talk in a different language. And I'd spent half the time just scribbling down quotes. And um, so I started the hashtag things you hear in meetings and it just took off, was really popular because it's true. Um, we're very good at laughing at ourselves as an industry, but not very good at doing anything about that, um, about what we're laughing at. Um, anyway, so that was all in-house. Then I went agency side and I realized that we're talking shit all day long. It's not just in meetings. And when I say shit, I mean like a foreign language, like Adland language. Like, do we leave our normal conversational skills at the door when we walk into work? So I changed the hashtag to things you hear in agencies. And um, people loved it. And um, Nick N. Twistle, who is a creative in Manchester, he contacted me and said, you need to make this a bigger thing. Um, I didn't know what he meant. Um, so he's, he created agency quotes for it. Uh, so it's his own Twitter account. It's like got over 10,000 followers. People contribute from around the world. I, I don't even contribute. It runs itself. I just retweet everybody else's tweets because there is so much material um, that it's just keeping people entertained all day, every day. And so much material that we have made two books out of it as well, Agency Quotes Volume 1 and Volume 2. And um, they're split up into chapters, um, like typical chapters that you would, you know, associate with an agency. So deadlines, timesheets, clients, um, Christmas, Fridays. Um, can, I, can, I put you on the, can I put you on the spot again? Because I, I don't send questions ahead of time but you know what the, <laughs> you know what the question is going to be are there a couple of quotes that come to mind that really strike you in a painful way and also by the way manchester is one of those cities outside of london i would have thought you would have mentioned that earlier but i'll, I'll, I'll give you a pass on that one what i is, should is, tell you i was asked to leave geography at school they said this isn't going anywhere like, you're not going to make it in geography so let's leave it now um <laughs> yeah um painting myself is such a bad light um so the most common quote is, can we make the logo bigger? Um, other quotes we get are things like, my wife prefers it in blue. Um, I did actually have a, a client say that to me, that my wife's an art teacher and she thinks blue would be a better color for the logo. And I don't give a shit what your wife thinks. Um, and one of my favorites is um, Chris Miller, who's a fellow copywriter, who's hilarious. Um, he tweeted, um, I can't remember exactly. It's something about there's a sheep in the downstairs loo. 
Um, and that just evokes so much um, from, you know, what we know of agencies that it could have been, he could have been tweeting from BBH or it could have been a sheep being used for a shoot and they just put it in the downstairs loo while they were waiting to go on set. Or like, who knows? But that's, that's the other beauty of agency quotes is it's all out of context, but we're able to imagine um, the situation that that person was in when they tweeted. Right. I mean, the dynamic about asking something like your partner or, or kids or grandkids, it's real. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with CMOs who years ago would have had the epiphany about YouTube because they saw their, their, um, their child using it and their child yeah. entertained them with it over a weekend. And they're like, oh, that's a real thing. And they might have not paid as much attention to our presentations on it being yeah. a real thing. I, know, I, I totally agree. Um, everybody has a valid opinion. It just, you know, then, then ask everybody their opinion. Don't just go with your wife's, like, you know, get a consensus. Love it, love it. Awesome, Vicky. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Where can people find you on the internet in one or two examples? Because it sounds like you have tens of I do. On. So I'll just direct you to Vicky Ross Writes. And from there, you will find uh, your way to Copy Capital and Agency Quotes. Awesome, awesome. Well, you're obviously very active, doing some great work with the Teaching, Judging, Mentorship and with Copy Capital, the event. Best wishes with it all. Thank you very much, Mark. Nice talking to you. Please. See you.